Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. My next interview is with Carlin Moulton and Michelle Hoser, and we talk about their new film, Sponsorland. It's about new Canadians, Syrians, coming into this country and how a community, how Prince Edward County uh, came around this family in a way that is really quite remarkable and so deeply relational and so rooted in a sense of, of generosity and grace and community that is really something uh, to see. And so not only do I hope you listen to this uh, fun and interesting interview, but I really do hope you get to see the film. It's it's on TVO. Uh, check it out, uh, Sponsorland. This this is a film about about Syria. It's a it's about war. It's about relationships. It's about fear and 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 acclimatization. It's about relationships and about family and and, and about how they should be able to fit in a van. Uh, kind of interesting and kind of fun. You'll find out more uh, what that's all about. It's about it's about banding together and, and about how, you know, coming alongside a family like this and, 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 and diving into something like this is is absolutely about, about philanthropy and it's about volunteerism and all those things, but how raising the money for something like this is often the easy part. This film is about having a can-do attitude and kind of redefines what it means to, you know, the whole notion of it takes a village to 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 do something um, something not only that's remarkable that the but but that it's actually uh, making a significant difference in in so many lives so please do listen in and and absolutely uh, see the film Sponsorland on TVO uh, once again that's TVO dot org uh, don't forget davidpecklive.com for more information about my speaking and and my writing and of course, face to face live.ca for uh, a host of interviews. And, and we're, we're coming up on 350, believe it or not. And don't forget patreon.com if you want to come alongside and, and help to. Uh, uh, help me build uh, what I'm uh, what I'm doing here with face to face as I continue to 
uh, create these interviews and, and reach out to new and exciting guests. So uh, thank you for listening. And uh, coming right up, Carlin Moulton and Michelle Hoser, Sponsorland. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We're joined by uh, two very special guests here today to talk about a new film, TVO, uh, presenting uh, and the Cutting Factory presenting a new film called Sponsorland. We have Michelle Hoser and uh, Carlin Moulton here with us today. Thank you uh, to both of you for joining me. Thank you, David. So why don't why don't we just uh, dive right in, um, uh, Carlin? We're gonna we're gonna get to you in a second because you you without you this film and this story I don't think would have been possible. But Michelle, can you can you give us a little bit of uh, an overview uh, of of what we're talking about? What 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 exactly is Sponsorland all about? Uh, Sponsorland was commissioned by TV Ontario for the hundredth and fiftieth um, sort of. Canada's 150th special programming, Uh and they were looking for films that really explored the idea of Canadians having um, sort of dual identities, or as they would say, one foot in in two different cultures. Hmm. And at the time of their nationwide call, we were in the midst of the Syrian crisis, and Canadians had to open up their doors and hearts to thousands of um, refugees, and I thought, what a great way to look uh, at this theme uh, and look also at how Canadians and this special program that we have of this private sponsorship group. You you were able to put this story together in a really short time frame. It seems to me um, was was there any uh, was was that was that liberating for you as a filmmaker or uh, was that problematic? Short, I, I, <laughs> short it was i think all in all i mean the call was done in 2015 yeah uh, at this time and then i met carlin in march of 2016 and I, I think the first time we rolled was in may 2016 and i think we started in may and the last shoot we did was in september of this year so it's about an, a, a year and a half of of just hanging with with carlin and her group and then the family uh, in Prince Edward County, um, film chronicling, you know, uh, how um, how this family of 11 kids um, settled in um, in Picton and in Prince Edward County. So, Carlin, I'm I'm really interested, and in I think it comes out a little bit in the film, and certainly your passion and your commitment to to not only the family but the cause, and 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 to you know, your grace and your generosity around the whole initiative. It, it comes through in, in a variety of ways. But what what would you say was the compelling factor for you personally to get involved, to bring this group together? Really, you had such incredible community support. I was blown, blown away by that. So was I. Uh, I, I have to say that I, I wasn't dedicated to the cause. Interesting. I was, at the outset. Right. I wasn't, I wasn't someone who had been involved a great deal in, in you know, too many refugee-related issues, uh, although... Uh, many years ago, I was involved, I guess, as a, as a friendship family or a sponsor mm-hmm. for a Cambodian family. Oh. Um, and I had worked, I guess, 25 years ago or 30 years ago with a, a Russian Jewish family that had come to Toronto that had needed some support. But really, I haven't been very involved. What happened was, though, that, of course, as these, you know, you know dominantly climate change and war-driven um, narratives of, of migration were piling up, uh, you know, and I guess three or three years ago, it really started to accelerate. And, you know, these stories were there. Uh, 
most of the time you feel relatively powerless. You can send mm. off a check to a humanitarian organization, you know, pick the, you're, you're caught, you know, Doctors sure. Without Borders, you send something to the UNHCR or something. But, you know, apart from simply sending money, you uh, personally I felt fairly impotent to do anything about many of these sorts of crises. I've got my life here in Canada, I've got my job, I've got my family, lots of other things I'm doing. And there didn't seem to me to be much of an opportunity for personal engagement, except when I I realized that there was this opportunity for sponsorship. And Mm -hmm. I thought, well, you know, there's something that we can do. At least there's this little thing that we can do. We can reach our hand out we can't, uh, you know, I'm not about to sort of go off to, to Italy and stand on the shores with my hand out helping to pull people out of boats. Right. Uh, that's not available to me as an option, really. But but this was something that I could do. Uh, and it didn't seem to me to be that much. It, it, like At the outset, right. it seemed right. to be a fairly modest endeavor to say, okay, we can get a group of people together, raise some money, and sponsor sure. some people for a year. Um there was, uh, I would, I, I, I will admit to some naivety about the scale of our undertaking, <laughs> and I, I think that um, when I we had the first meeting, um, you know, I, I had just put out a little post on Facebook. I didn't know how many people would show up. It might be five or ten friends, right. and 110 people. Oh, I love it. It's fabulous. You know, so, and and what was interesting to me was that within an hour. We were organized into eight committee groups. Wow. You know, and the health team was led by a doctor. The education team was led by a retired high school principal. We had mental health teams. We had housing teams. We had fundraising teams, communications. We had all of the different working groups that we needed all sorted out, and we had raised $40,000 in an hour. It was wow. like, okay, we're done here. We've got, got our committees, got our people, got our expert groups, you couldn't have asked for a better group of volunteers. I mean, they were they were as qualified as if they had applied for the job with a CV in hand. And we were off to the races. But then what happened almost immediately, like the next week, because I had reached out to Ryerson Lifeline Syria to okay. see if we could be a part of their group. I'd heard about them and wondered if we could be um, one of their sponsor groups. Uh, mostly because it would allow our donors to get tax receipts, frankly, and made it easier for people to make donations. And when we, we they said, yes, you can be a part of our group, but then about a week later they called me back and said, would you be ready to take a family? <laughs> yeah. And I thought, wow, that's that's just incredibly fast. Yes. And then they said, would you be willing to take a family of um, 14? <laughs> it's just it's great. And and that was pretty jaw-dropping. I bet. Um, I think mostly when you think about sponsoring a family, I don't know. What do you think of when you think, I, I well, think there's a family? Four, four or six, maybe? They fit in a van. That's right. They fit in <laughs> a van. My definition yes. Yes. Of a, in one van. In one in, van. That's that right. That would be my definition. Not a convoy. They fit in a van. and um, That's funny. Suddenly, the, the logistics of managing... All the considerations and concerns for a family that has 14 members, um, everything from, you know, housing, uh, transportation, how do you pick them up at the airport? Mm. I mean, really, uh, it, it, this was, um, we had to organize a giant passenger, you know, bus from Franklin. Um, we had, you know, there, but to find housing was the big problem, and that's why Ryerson approached us, actually, was because 
they couldn't find housing for this family in Toronto. How I, I, I'm I'm fascinated and and affirmed and encouraged by by the, the 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 amount of energy. Frankly, I think you guys need to to figure out what to do with the UN. Uh, I may think maybe maybe we should just commission Prince Edward County with fixing <laughs> the UN. Um, if you guys can do that in an hour. <laughs> Eight committee groups, <laughs> you know, forty k raised. I think I think there's, uh, you know, talk about incremental change. You guys clearly made it happen. Passion in the community, a commitment, and I'd love to hear your your voice in on this too, Michelle. What were you tapping into? I, I, is it just this really generous community? This, you know, this uh, um, the, 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 is this is this Canadian? Is this is this? Uh, yeah, I'm 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 really interested to hear more about that. Uh, for me, you know, the interesting thing is um, you do talk to a lot of sponsor groups, and in Prince Edward County, they do have a very can-do attitude. Mm, nice. And I think if you talk to sponsors, they'll say the first thing is that raising the money is the easy part. Right. I don't know, Carlin, if you agree. Simple part, absolutely. It's the easy part, but then it's the, the everyday commitment that the, this group, um, and look, we're two years into um, the families um, had their two-year anniversary last week. And the, uh, uh, Carla, again, tell me if I'm wrong, but the group is just as committed and just as there as from the first day. And I think it's the amount of work that that the sponsors have done over the last couple of years, especially on a family so big. And one of the interesting stories, reasons we looked at Prince Edward County is because it's not in a large city. Right. It's not like, you know, Vancouver, Montreal, Toronto, when there's all these support systems and government systems and even transit. Uh, you know, as Carlin says, how do you transport a family of 14? I mean, just taking them to the skating ring, you need at least three cars or <laughs> at least, you know, or sure. shuttling back and forth. Um so for me, that was the interesting, how does that work in terms of organizing and logistics? And again, raising the money is easy. It's then the commitment. It's then the patience and figuring it out. And, and you know, I, I often say it's like a bit of a marriage. There you are. You have to have patience. You have to listen. There's expectations. Um, I, I, in order to tell the story, I sort of had to get embedded in the community. Right. And, and, um, you went to, you basically, you lived in the community, didn't you, for about a year? Yeah. In the beginning, I rented a home and I was back and forth and I got tired of, of riding that 401 all I the time. I bet you did, yeah. Yeah. And then finally in January, I told my husband, all right, let's, you know, grab the dog. And <laughs> when we stayed from, um, January to July, and of course, Prince Edward County is a great community to spend that much time there. So, like I, <laughs> uh, I was, we were very lucky. Um, but we got to see, you know, we spend a, one of the reasons is to gain the trust mm-hmm. of the community of of Prince Edward County. You know, here I am, a filmmaker from Toronto, and it's like, who are you? Uh, so they're learning the county ways. It's, it's getting to know people, getting to know the family. And, you know, getting to know the family is, is you end up doing what the volunteers do. You do a little bit of babysitting. You do a little bit of chauffeuring. You, you do, you know, you become a bit of a confidant. And I realize the amount of commitment that um, the volunteers have put in. And it's constant, and it's in the middle mm-hmm. of the night, and it's on weekends. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and that's um, um, interesting given the, the rural setting is that they still pull through. 
you know, they they figured it out, and um, um, I thought that was amazing. I want to uh, return to one of your earlier questions, if I might. Sure, yeah. So you asked the question, you know, is Prince Edward County different than other places, or, or is this just the Canadian response? Sure, yep. Um, I moved to the county in 2004, so, I, you know, I don't have three generations of relatives buried here, so I have to be careful attempting to speak on behalf of the community. But I have lived here for 14 years. And, and you I'm came out of, of uh, Toronto, right, Carmen? I did, yeah. yeah. And, and I have a pretty good sense of it. Uh, Michelle's right that there's a very can-do attitude that I think, though, is quite typical of rural Ontario, which is where I grew up, or r- rural Canada anywhere. Um, you know, we there aren't a lot of people here. There aren't a lot of agencies to rely on. And so if you need something fixed or if you want something changed, there typically isn't a number to call. Right. <laughs> you, uh, there, there, you have to go and actually do it or find a few of your friends who can. And so banding together to create mm. um, networks of people is, is, is nothing new here or in neighboring towns, I have to say. But I do think that what, you know, in, in some respects, my initial ask for people who might be interested came out in August, and that was ahead of Alain Curdy being, uh, those terrible pictures of, you know, children being washed up on right. shore. But that happened in between. Oh, okay. Mm. And so when that happened, I think there wasn't a dry eye in the country. Um, I, I think it's fair to say that um, everyone was profoundly moved somehow by that image that was iconic, was a representative image of, of, of the tragedy that was unfolding, and everybody wanted to do something. So it didn't matter who we asked at that point for any kind of help. It didn't matter if we were asking somebody for help with a donated uh, van or or a donated uh, mostly donated house or furniture or even we you know we called up Franklin the bus company to say can we would you donate a bus for us to go and pick up this family and they said yes we've been wondering what we could do well, happy to help <laughs> so That's happy great. to help and thankful you know they all said I'm glad there's something we can do mm. and I think it made everyone feel a little less powerless a mm. little less impotent I don't think it, you know, some people have said, oh, well, you know, people just wanted to do do good. I think it's different than that. I think the tragedy and the scale, scope and scale of it was so great that to feel like there was any small thing you could do to alleviate it for, you know, maybe an individual, maybe a single family, that felt better than nothing. And And so no one said no, basically. And so when we asked the municipality to support our effort they said yes when we asked local charities to support the effort they said yes when we we raised almost three hundred thousand dollars in the first four months of our existence in a very small community it just shows you what a committed passionate group of people can do and 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 as it's not really explored terribly fully in the film but it's certainly part of the film you know, the minute that the family, first family, arrived in all of their numbers, um, uh, sort of shortly after, you know, con- being assured that we weren't going to harm them and that we were there right. to help, right. which was a concern, <laughs> um, 
the next question was, and what about my brother? Right. What about my sister? What about my cousin? And although, you know, so a very large extended family with many, many parent-led groups, but who were all extended family, had had migrated from, from Syria to Lebanon, but they were all living still together in Lebanon. And here's this family that got plucked out of the group and, mm-hmm. and sent first to another country. And they were sent first because they had um, uh, health issues that were urgent. Right. The m- grandmother was, was palliative and... Uh, obviously uh, in need of, of some kind of palliative care. Um, the mother was having some health issues that needed urgent attention, and uh, there was also a child that had some health issues that needed attention. So they that other countries say no to families with health issues. Canada says, yes, we'll take them. That is a huge difference in sponsorship between Canada and other countries. So we will take people with health issues. Right. They, get, in fact, get accelerated. Mm-hmm. So that first family came, and then, then it was, what about all the other families? And so immediately we realized our credibility, our relationship with this family, had a whole lot to do with our willingness to take on um, the next sibling and the next sibling and the next sibling. And I, I really don't know where that would ever end. Um, well, and Michelle, you really bring that out well in the film, too, the tension with, with I'm not sure if it was Sleeman or Ramez, but one of the sons who who's talking about how his, some of his friends have kind of stopped talking yeah. to him. And yeah, there's this sense of maybe guilt or shame that why why was I chosen? And, 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 and the sense that power, th- th- that same, maybe, Carlin, that same powerlessness now, I, I can't bring my friends over. I can't bring the rest of my family over. Yeah, that's interesting from uh, from Sleeman. He has a cousin also named Sleeman who he told me he, he doesn't talk to us much anymore. In fact, I don't even think he does talk to him because, you know, here he is uh, in a land of opportunity. He's got school, he's got work, he's got things mm-hmm. going, and, and his friend is stuck in Lebanon doing hard labor with not much of future. And he has a hard time... Uh, reconciling that, and and he he knows he can't bring him here right away, and so um, uh, it weighed on him. And uh, and then or he'll ask his friends, "Why aren't you calling? You know, why aren't we talking?" And they sort of said, "Well, we lost the will to speak," mm. and that was hard on him. Um, so yeah, and and of course there's WhatsApp and there's Facebook, right. so there is this constant continuing dialogue which i think put a, m- must have put pressure on on carlin and the group to bring in more families but i think what's interesting uh in bringing more of the extended family i, I think will also uh, m- maybe help guarantee the success of, of bringing uh families in rural settings so that they have their extended family right right them. sure right which is really important all of a sudden, okay, now we can really set roots because my sister's here, my brother's here, we're, we're growing into a community. And I think that that um, is, um, is great in that sense in terms of, you know, means more volunteers <laughs> uh, and more, more, more organization, but it does, it does um, uh, allow the success of this sponsorship group uh, in rural Canada. Yes, yeah, go ahead. So I, I think that 
the model of this sponsorship group is quite different from other sponsorship groups that I am aware of. And, I, and I've, I've talked to different people across the country. Typically, a sponsor group is taking on a family. And what we did is we set up an organization that had an umbrella organization, which we call PEC Syria. And there are people who are, okay, they're doing fundraising. There are the people who are doing mental health-related issues or, or um, health-related things or working out and navigating with the schools. But those are umbrella people for now we have seven pods, as mm. we call them internally, seven internal groups of people. Each one, each of those groups is dedicated to a specific individual nuclear family. Um, but there is this umbrella organization. So we were able to scale fairly easily. And um, so in actual fact, with each successive family that's come, it's been less and less work for right. us because the people that are already here that they are related to, you know, I did not go deliberately went to the airport with Michelle to meet the, her uh, spouse and sister when she came. Um, first of all, there's a pod lead there that, mm. you know, really I wanted them to imprint on or to, to develop that initial relationship with that pod, not I can't be spread amongst all of them in that sense. And so, um, but the family, met her brothers and her sister went to greet her. And, and the first night she spent was at her sister's home. She'd been up all night preparing for her sister's arrival. That's a very different welcome than walking through the door to a right. gaggle of strangers. Sure. So it's become much easier as, as this progresses uh, in, in some respects. So, so Carolyn, did you, do you and, and Michelle, I'd love to hear it, either, either of you, did, did you guys do the, I mean, this may seem like a really silly question, but did you do the right thing? And, and then maybe the follow-up is, would you do it? Well, clearly you would do it again. But you talked about those good intentions out of the gate, and you talked about how, you know, you weren't, you weren't necessarily a willing participant. But, but wow. I, I, mean, didn't, you... I didn't say that. <laughs> uh, obviously, I was a willing participant. I put my hand up. It's just that I haven't spent my life mm. dedicated to refugee-related mm. causes. Right. But in this particular moment in history, it seems I was blessed enough to be able yeah. to offer something. Uh, I, I carved out some time. Um, I was able, there was a mechanism that the government had structured where we could actually, as human beings, citizens of this country, we could do something that no other citizens of any other country could do. Mm, We're the only country good. with private citizen sponsorship. I think that's worth noting. Yeah, and, yeah absolutely. Uh, so it gave us something that we could do. And um, do I regret it? Not for a second. Mm. Would I do it again? Absolutely. Well, has it been different than I anticipated? Sure. Yeah. Um, have I learned a lot of things from the experience that would cause me to maybe approach some of it differently? Absolutely. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, anything that's worth doing is you know, uh, you know, worth doing. So um, I, I, I just think that the... the um, the, the biggest frustration in this entire enterprise is that the momentum that the government helped to create at the outset by saying, we're going to put this push on, we're going to bring right. these people in, we're going to get these 25, then 40,000 people here. They galvanized the country. Every town mobilized. Mm -hmm. You know, small towns from sea to shining sea 
got together in church basements and raised money and found a place and kind of got ready to receive a family. That happened across the country. And then most of those people, most of them, have been frustrated and left dangling, uh, unable to now get a family because there is nobody there to process the applications, right. basically. Yeah, yeah that's so right. They, they, they built that momentum. There was this outpouring of goodwill and, and energy. And honestly, it's turned to something kind of bitter and resentful because there was no way then that they could act. How... How did you guys, and it comes out in, I think it comes out in the film, and I mean, it really does seem like you, 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 you've done this many, many times before, you know, the, Michelle, the way you, you know, the, the, the community that sort of develops, the way, the, the second family-like nature of it all. I think one of your sponsors says, you know, what my family says, where, you know, <laughs> this, this has become your second family. You're, you're spe- you know, the implication being you're almost spending as much time there as you are, you're with them as you are with us sort of a thing. But, but yeah. how, did, how did you guys go about breaking down those cultural barriers? The, uh, you know, maybe, maybe moment, you know, you talk a little bit about that uh, in, the, in the film, uh, some, of, some of those uh, uncomfortable moments. Of course, you've got language, but there's so many others. Those, th- that moment in the kitchen is just absolutely wonderful, Michelle, with, uh, you know, uh, I, I forget who it is, but one of the sons okay. and mom and, and the cooking of the food and him talking oh, yeah, about yeah. how he wants to marry a Canadian girl. It's just wonderful, right? About, oh, the, yeah, that's a great scene. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's interesting because, um, you know, there was that language barrier. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things I had to do in order to gain the trust was sort of drop the traditional documentary crew uh, and just hang out with the family. Right. And in fact, um, my cinematographer, John Ming Tren, one of the best in, in the country, I said, John, just give me, output me with a camera, give me, you know, cinematography 101. <laughs> right. And, uh, in fact, I did two or three sessions with him <laughs> because I realized, okay, I better do this properly, you know, at least learn the autofocus button. Right. Probably a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but in the beginning, I sort of had to hang back with the camera uh, just to allow things to happen. And uh, l- luckily, um, Sleeman was wearing a mic at the time. And I, I'll tell you, I was so grateful for that kitchen opening where I could be a little bit removed and, mm. and, and catch what was going on. Um, uh, and, you know, in the beginning, yeah, it's a language barrier. Uh, we had some great translators with us. But, um, yeah, you know, at one point, just spending so much time, you know, or they look and you go, oh, there, there you are again with the camera. Oh, oh okay, it's you again. <laughs> but uh, after a while... Um, you know, when we weren't just hanging out with them, I would have South and the mom say, okay, take out your camera, Michelle. Let's film this. And, and I don't know if you remember the scene of the kids doing karate in front of yes. the parents. Yes, and yeah, wonderful scene. Yeah. lovely family moment when they're all there. South had said to me, okay, Michelle, take out your camera. And I thought, okay, I, you know, you just don't know these things are going to end up in the film. Sure. Said, okay, home video, but I think it just shows just an intimacy amongst them. You know, they're not watching television. They're there watching each other, right? <laughs> and and when you have such a large family, uh, they uh, you get a lot of entertainment amongst yourselves. And I think um, that took a while, and I'm sort of lucky. My parents are... Um, my parents are um, Egyptian Jews. In fact, my grandmother was born in Syria. And um, so... My parents spoke Arabic at home, 
people and use to the language. And in fact, unfortunately, it was the language they kept for themselves, uh, trying to get the kids not to, um, you know, so language so that the kids wouldn't uh, understand what they're saying. And of course, you pick up the language, and the first thing you do is you pick up the swear words. And, uh, and right. so when yeah, I, yeah. Well, you know, when I walked into Southern Abdumalik's home, the language was familiar to me. And the intonation was familiar. So um, I didn't feel like a total stranger. And, of course, the food was the same. So um, I felt that, uh, I, I felt like almost, you know, like I was there with my extended family. It's a very interesting feeling. Um, uh, and um, But um, gaining all that trust took a long time, took a real long time. Can you can you talk a little bit? We're gonna have, but sadly, we're gonna have to wrap it up in a couple of minutes. I can't believe how fast the time's gone. Oh my and god! I, I, I know it's ridiculous. So, <laughs> we, we, I think we might have to do a part two. I, I love. I mean, and by the way, way too long for me to get to this point. Congratulations on the film, and and I know it it just aired in Toronto, and it's it's a TVO production, so it's I'm I'm hoping it's going to be available for people in sort of perpetuity. I mean, every, everybody needs to see this film for so many different reasons. It seems to me. But can you talk a little bit as we sort of come to a close here about some of the the difficulties that anti-muslim sentiment i mean the the attack in quebec city the 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 the, the potential for racist commentary or th- mm. things that might have happened in the community that maybe didn't make I'd it like into the film yeah i'd i'd love to hear a little bit about that i mean it's it's a really hopeful film and and i think it really speaks to anyone who says this can't work or immigration's a bad idea or you know let's let's just look south and and it's easy to get sanctimonious as canadians i suppose uh, but but look at what's going on in the us and 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 and, and all that's wrong with that you know I, that you, you kind of want to go hey let's let's get everybody into one big theater <laughs> there's no question that there's a kind of because of our juxtaposition or, or with the united states and you know the constant mayhem of mass shootings and um mm-hmm. the sort of very out loud racist sentiments that are being expressed there <clears throat> there's no question that in in contrast to them we can sometimes feel very smug mm. and we can feel mm-hmm. very um supercilious in a way right because we're not them and, right and yeah. by comparison we're a much kinder, gentler, more accepting, multicultural society. Now, in fact, we are, uh, and we're a less violent society, although I, I just recently read a very interesting analysis which says, you know, it's really correlated to how many guns you have. It's not really about how many races you have or you don't. It's about how armed you are. Interesting. Uh, and mm. I think that we, however, created a feeling for them that uh, they arrived very afraid. Hmm. We spent a yes. lot of time... Uh, working with the individuals at the local mosque. There's a mosque in Belleville, and in, they were with us when we welcomed the family on day one. Um, we spent a lot of time trying to make sure that we had a broad cross-section of our community saying, we welcome you and we embrace you no matter what your faith. Um, and there's no question that when that shooting happened, it caused everybody to go back on their heels, right? It was right. an abrupt moment. When suddenly everyone, they went, this can happen in Canada. You know, we, that we've just been hearing that it doesn't. It doesn't happen, yeah. It doesn't happen, that you're not opposed to us, that you will accept us, and then this happens. And then Ramos says, we can't look at the actions of one guy. Right, yeah. And say, 
that's what Canadians are profoundly think. wise. Yes, this is one yeah. guy. Yeah. But what then happened, I think, to reinforce that was something that's never happened here before. Was there was a march. Now there were lots of marches in Toronto. Toronto gets a march every week about something. There aren't a lot of marches in Belleville. <laughs> really? Not many. <laughs> and and also this was I think February. It was really right. terribly cold. Yeah, minus thirty. Or oh something. yeah. That, yeah, that particular night was minus twenty five or I, thirty. Or I something. wondered what the candles were for. Yeah. Oh, I wish <laughs> I had had one. They ran out. And it was very very cold. Yeah. And over 2,000 people, which wow. is a lot in this town, came out to march arm-in-arm, starting at the local mosque and marching through downtown to City Hall to say, we stand with you and we oppose this. And I know that there were vigils in many cities across the country, but it really struck me in Belleville that that happened when, you know, I've lived in this community for as many years as I have, and I'd never been to the local mosque. I didn't know anybody at the local mosque until two years ago. Mm. And now we were all marching arm in arm and knew each other by so first great. name, yep. except for the extraordinarily <laughs> winter gear that we all had on. We could hardly tell who was who underneath our hats and scarves. But it was quite a, I think it said a lot to Ramez and to his family, that we all went mm. there and marched. And um, blessedly, that hasn't happened again. And um, they seem to have recognized it as a unique ex- event rather than part of their daily experience. Michelle, I've got, I've got uh, sadly, a final question for you, and, and then I think we'll have to wrap it up. What I mean, you've been making doc films for quite a while. You've, you've been involved in some pretty pretty uh, interesting award-winning films and... and um, what what do you what do you come away with from this experience that's maybe different than than some of the other films that you've you've shot in the past you know i mean i i i i love doc film i mean i honestly at the risk of sounding a little idealistic and a little corny i feel like i'm a better person because i saw this because i became a part of this story because i you know i've learned about this like you say carla and i, I haven't been in a, I, i've never been in a mosque up until that time i mean the, these you know you get to go places that you would never go how, how about you as a director as a producer as as the filmmaker yeah no that's an interesting question that you know every time you start a new doc you feel like you're going back to university and, uh, <laughs> and learning on the subject and you think you you know you come you come into it with certain you know, ideas and expectations, and you come out of it uh, with completely different idea. Mm. I think the interesting thing, you know, just to go on uh, what you were talking about with the attack in the mosque, at the time, in 2015, when we started this project, you know, it was the time of the election. There was part of Canadians, sadly, who weren't sure, should we let them in? Right. Is this a great idea? And, you know, we elected a liberal government. We went forth and brought in thousands of refugees. But those voices who, who were skeptical are still out there. Sure, of course. And so for me, okay, let's look at the sponsorship program, you know, beyond the 30-second news clip. And what do we learn? And, you know, you get got a lot of people asking you, so as a filmmaker, what's your take? You know, will they integrate? And, and you feel like saying, oh, my God. They're like just you and I. They're a normal family. Yeah. They're infectious. They're they love their kids. They want their future. Well, and this is what's so important about your film, right? That, that yeah, helping to break those kind of barriers down. And that fear of other, 
yes, you know, absolutely. the unknown. And I think for me that that was the really important question. Well, um, sim- and sim- there's a similarity through, through, through difference, right? And I think exactly. this is what is so beautiful about Canada, or at least what we hope is beautiful about Canada. And I, 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 I think it is. <laughs> and, and it, and it makes, yeah, it makes us kind of proud to be Canadians. And I, I got that sense too, from the family that they were, they were genuinely thrilled ultimately <laughs> once they got over that fear to, to be a part of this smaller community. And, and you, you bring that out beautifully too with, with, is it Remez's trip to Toronto on the train and so on? And just, Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, Sleeman, yeah. yeah Sleeman, yeah, it's that, yeah. Con- that contrast, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. If, if I'm not pushing your time to, no, please can go. I make another, of course you can. Yeah, absolutely. Because I grew up in a rural Ontario farming family and you know, my, my parents ended up having other jobs off the farm, you know, where they were doing other things. And But my grandparents didn't. And what they remind me of, what this family reminds me of, is my grandparents. Mm. In the sense that uh, they they were used to growing their own food. They, 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 you know, my grandmother had food and store-bought food. And we hardly ever got store-bought food. So, and and for, for, for this family... They were used to growing their own food, making their own food. They don't go out to restaurants. Right. That's not even no. a part of their <laughs> right. Um, right. their <laughs> repertoire, right? The boys may go and get a slice of pizza, but, that, but, but the family doesn't do that. Sure. The parents, um, you know, are in, in our current generation, we're all very work-focused. And that's like, well, we've got our job and we do that, and what are we going to do about the kids? You know, and then we make our child care arrangements. They're approaching this completely differently. Mm. We have our kids. And then what are we going to do about work? You know, so they're coming at it in a way that's reminded me very much of my grandparents, where they were at home. Uh, the kids just kind of got integrated into what they were doing. They didn't make a special deal about doing something with the kids for the kids. There was life, and the kids kind of went with the flow of mm. it. And nice. they were always underfoot, and it didn't matter how many of them there were, and the more the merrier. And mm. uh, whereas we're, we've we've come a, quite a distance from that, in my experience, in certain cultures, you know, certain parts of our culture, certain kinds of families, where our families have gotten smaller, um, lots of people don't have children, something inconceivable in my grandparents' day, for example. <laughs> And, you know, for me to, to spend time with Salson and have her say, yeah, I've got 11 kids, but I would like more. That's right. You know, yes. yeah. I, I, it just set me, you know, you go, what? Really? Can you believe that? Yeah. Um, and, but she's genuine. And their, their mm-hmm. love and affection for what they consider to be their wealth. Yes. Which is their children. Yes. Yeah. Right. And I, I don't know that we think about our children necessarily as our wealth. And, and our first priority. And so it, it's, it's been an interesting, I think, very educational experience for us to, to be forced to listen to that voice again. Well, I, I, I really am a better person for seeing the film, and thank you to you both. I, Carlin, thank you for, for, for what you've done and how you've brought this community together and, 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 and we're willing to share it and to the family as well, and Michelle for the film. Uh, what a what a great conversation today! We've been talking about sponsor land with Carlin Moulton and Michelle Hoser. Um, TVO production going to be uh, is uh, Michelle just before we wrap going to be on TVO. Uh, yeah, t- it's going to be on TVO November fifteenth okay. um, with repeat broadcast during that week. I think even on November eighteenth. 
Uh, and then uh, following that, they can um, look at sponsorland.ca, and it will be uh, streaming there. And we also hope to take the film on the road to different communities across Canada. Because well, it's always special to, to watch screenings and then have Q&As after and have the discussion just um, continue on. Yeah, well, I wish I wish you well with that, and I hope you get into many communities across Canada. You made it a, an important and a, a, beautiful, uh, a beautiful film. Thank you for that. Thank you, David. Thank you, David, for the question. Thanks so much. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness, and they come in five different flavors. They're so good wild berry acai grape pineapple mango lemon and mandarin orange my favorite is the wild berry because i just i just love a berry so if you're like me and you're drinking water all day then try splash refresher it's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you acast powers the world's best podcasts here's a show that we recommend the Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>